The Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman, Brett King, Cameron Colley and Alec Doughty. Welcome everybody and thank you very much indeed. Welcome to episode 147 of The Boys of Tech. This episode for the week beginning Monday the 19th of December 2011. My name is Edwin Herman. I'd like to welcome from Drinkle.com, pretty much our most regular panellist I believe, Alec Doughty. Welcome along Al. Hey Ed, how you doing? I'm great. W- wouldn't that be about right? These days you're pretty much our most regular panelist. I, I, I think it's it's trending that way over the last sort of couple of months. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's great to have you on board. And Thanks. So, so on that note, let's delve right in. And the first story I wanted to bring up was Universal filed a takedown uh, with YouTube over a clip, a video clip that featured, it was basically a bunch of artists there were a lot of artists, though. There were a whole bunch of and, artists. And, and, and some really high-profile pro, high people as well, like um, P. Diddy and... Yeah, and it was basically an ad, really, wasn't it, for, yeah. for Mega Upload? Yep. The thing is, I, I think it's really corny. I don't know if you've listened to it, but it just... Yeah, I don't know. It seems really corny, but in, in any event... I've watched it. Yeah? What did you think? I don't know. It was I just cheesy. Moved. Yeah, I wasn't moved by it either way. I mean, I just thought it was an ad. Mm. Well, anyway, so they, they did this, you know, let's call it an ad, a promo, whatever you want to call it, an endorsement yeah. of Mega Upload. And so, as I say, Universal Music filed a takedown notice. The problem, of course, was is that they had no right to do that because yeah, they, it was they awful. had no copyright ownership of anything related to that mega upload ad. That's right. So, you know, YouTube have now reinstated the video. I, I think there was, what, what was the, the period there? Was it a, about a, a week, was it? Yeah, about that. That it was unavailable. The thing is, this raises the bigger question of what controls are there or should be in place to stop rights owners like Universal Music wrongly taking down content? I think it's a, a broader question than you might originally think as well, because when you take into consideration the uh, the SOPA Act that the US are trying to push through Congress at the moment, which will give copyright holders unprecedented takedown power all that, to the point where they can actually deny and block whole domains via DNS. Mm. That's, so, that's the sledgehammer. So exactly, exactly. I mean that that's that's the nuclear bomb of of uh, copyright protection. That's a whole show in itself, I think. Actually, it, it is. And, and interestingly enough, the US have recently, in the last day or two, delayed the vote on that. So the good news is it's not going to be voted in into Congress anytime soon. Because there were calls, I remember for trying to get uh, the DNS system a little bit more international than it is at the moment. Yeah. You know, because that's the, kind of the, 
or will be if this goes through, this will be the method by which, or one of the methods by which they can nuke, if I can use that word, nuke a whole, you know, range of sites. Yeah. So, but coming back to this, you know, it's not the first time that, that rights holders got things wrong. Uh, this one is kind of a high profile one. But I think it just shows that perhaps the system isn't quite right. On the other hand, though, I do I do realise, though, that this must be a very difficult balancing act because if you are a little bit too biased towards the rights owners, as perhaps some people have been saying, then those people aren't happy. Uh, but if you flip it around the other way, then it's the, the rights owners that will be complaining. So it's really hard to, to I guess, get both sides to agree where the you know, the, the middle line is. Exactly. I, either either side of the argument is always going to say that the line is too close to the opposition. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is going to be really hard to, you know, to try and tweak that. The uh, The whole SOPA thing is, is a bit of a worry, though. It is, it is. Should we talk about WebOS? I think that would be a fine idea. Excellent. Well, it might also be a fine product as well, because... Apparently, it's going open source. And HP, this might be a little bit of media spin, but HP reckon it might become more open than Android in that there'll be a lot more uh, contributors to the operating system. Unlike Android, which is technically it is open source, but in practice, Google does control a lot. Uh, In fact, I think, I I don't know how many contributors there really are to the whole thing. I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if it's just Google. Android is an interesting beast because it's almost like they have two branches. There's the the private um, sort of branch, which is developed in-house by Google. And then when that gets to a point where they're ready to release it, then they open source it. Yeah, so they've got that extra lead, uh, what do you call it, advantage. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, HP deciding to make webOS open source? I mean, I think it's an interesting move. It's- I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Um, I, I think webOS will, will actually end up on more devices because of this, which is a good thing. HP are spinning this quite well as well, saying that webOS is the only platform designed from the ground up to be mobile, cloud-connected, and scalable. Yeah, I saw um, that. You know, I actually... Yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought about spin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought about that long and hard, and I thought, hang on, let's try iOS for a second. Oh, no, you're right. They only brought in the cloud service in version whatever it was. Uh-huh. And, and I think the same goes for, for Android as well. Yeah. Here's a question for you then. Do you think the HP brand carries with it more trust than does the Google brand? No. No? I, I don't think so, no. I think Google engenders more trust in users. That's just my own perspective, but that's how I feel about it. That's interesting. I would have said, you know, I would have gone the other way. Perhaps seven, eight years ago, I, I would have said, yeah, but I don't know. I, I kind of got the impression now that Google uh, Google's true colours, and I'm not saying they're a bad company, but, you know, they're not all they, perhaps, what we first saw them to be. I don't think they are quite that. Uh, and, and I think people are kind of seeing a little bit of the, the true colours coming through a little bit. So oh, right. wh- where I was going with this was, if we now have devices that, apart from iOS, which is a pretty much closed shop, if you're yeah. looking at the alternative, you'll have, in you know a year or so, WebOS, you'll have Android, uh, one's from HP, one's from Google, I kind of would have thought that people would go, oh, look, I'll take the HP one, thanks. Well, then you've got the Microsoft-flavoured Windows phone as well. 
Yeah, but that's also a closed shop too, though. It is. It's really not that different to to. It uh, is. To I, iOS, I, apart I, from the hardware. I just don't like leaving it out of the uh, out of the equation. Okay. All right. Just yeah. Okay. To keep you happy. Yes. Okay. Windows as well. <laughs> but no, you're, you're actually right. And Windows. Here's the thing. I would you know over say Android and I think Cam and I, I said this before on a previous show between Microsoft's uh, offering and Google's offering, I'd go with Microsoft. Which is a good thing. It's just, unfortunately, there's Apple there as well, taking your love. Uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> if it's between Apple and Microsoft, okay, yeah, Apple, Apple yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what are your predictions in terms of relative market share? So not actual figures, but like how many times bigger will uh, Android be, say, in a year or two than HP's uh, OS or vice versa? I don't think um, WebOS is is really going to make waves. I would like to see it, but unfortunately, in, in terms of market share, I actually think it's going to linger behind Microsoft, which are lingering in third place. Mm. See, I was going to say, I think WebOS could be in 18 months, about half the market share for, you know, for tablets anyway, uh, half the market share of Android. Yeah, no. You don't think well, so? No. Mm. I, don't, I, I don't think so. Unless something like Amazon jumping ship from Android to WebOS for their tablets, something like that, that might impact it. Now that it's being pushed open source and Amazon would be able to, to sort of um, skin WebOS so it looks identical to the modern version like the, the current version of Android for the Kindle Fire. But other than that, I really can't see WebOS taking off, unfortunately. Time will tell. It'd be it interesting will. also to see whether HP bring back a tablet where they decide, well, actually, maybe we want to give this, this another shot, at least from the hardware point of view. Yeah. Uh, it might be a chance for them to say, well, okay, let's get back in the game in terms of hardware. Because yeah. at the moment, they don't do any hardware tablets, do they? Or do that? Or no, they do. They do. do. They? There's a there's a Windows Seven. Oh, there's oh there oh, that's tablet. right. There is two. Um, yeah, there is two. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, mm. And 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 that will become the uh, the Windows Eight tablet, or it'll, it'll get refreshed with new hardware. But they'll, they'll release a Windows Eight tablet as well once that gets released. Mm. Now, I was actually in the store just yesterday, and uh, I was looking at the different tablets, and you know. I, I was just thinking. I was what was going through my mind was was Cameron's words of the Samsung is just a copy of of, of the iPad, and so I did, you know I was in there. and There was I think maybe five, six, seven different types of uh, tablets, and I I went up to each one and I sort of lifted it and felt the thickness and how heavy is it? What does it feel like? What does it look like? And you know when I I almost mistook the Samsung for the iPad. I got to the Samsung one. I was like, oh, this is the i no, it's not the iPad. That'll be over there with all the Apple paraphernalia and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was actually, you know, out of all the tablets out there. It's the closest. Well, it's not just the closest. It's of any two. If you pick any two, it's those two that look the same or similar. Yeah. None of the others look similar to each other even. So Interestingly, Samsung ended up winning the the Australian case. So they're allowed to... um, Oh, they can to sell, sell the 10.1s mm. in Australia, yeah. 
Yeah, so that happened last week. A- Apple won't be very happy about that, but no, yeah. <laughs> that's the way it goes. It is. Yeah, actually, I think I saw a story too about Samsung patenting uh, an emoticon or a, or a method of inputting an emoticon, something like that. I didn't read the story, but it's uh, something to do like something with that. The paint system is so broken. <laughs> it is a bit, but that's all we've got at the moment, and that's how they. Uh, how how wars are waged at the moment in the in the IP space. It is, it is. Now, speaking of interesting stories, what about this one? They, I, I read the story about how they're managing to figure out how big a drug problem is in a particular area, like in a particular city, for example, by analysing trace amounts of drugs in the air in the atmosphere. Would wow. you even guess that, like, for example, cocaine is you know. A few random molecules of cocaine up in... Would be even detectable. Well, A, yeah, would it be detectable? Yeah, exactly. But would they in, even be in, there still? But apparently they are. They they hang around because, you know, they... I mean, I guess the molecules have to go somewhere. Yeah. Not all of them, so we just, you know, get yeah. converted. Wow. I thought that was a fascinating story. And so they found... They've done some correlations because they've they've taken some samples of, you know, atmospheric samples... Uh, from a whole range of different places, and when they plot those against the uh, the size of the drug problem in those areas, of course that's never known for sure. But you know, you never know how big a drug problem is because it's underground. But you have an idea. I think the police have an idea. Yeah, I mean, they they would map that up against arrests within a a, a geographic location and that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's still not a- accurate, of course, because you know you can you can get some really massive operations that go undetected. You have better crime solving rates in some areas than others, and you know. But yeah, they have an idea. Yeah, they have an idea, and amazingly, it gets a really good correlation. So the bigger the drug problem the stronger the concentration of these trace drug elements in the atmosphere. And I thought this was fascinating. It is. That's, that's actually quite interesting. Very big so, brother, but... Yeah, but... yeah, well... The thing is, you know, if people are listening out there going, and what's the point? Well, the point is, at the moment, if you want to figure out where to combat drug crimes, it's really expensive to... Well, there are, as, as we talked about, there are ways of getting ideas of the size of the drug problem, but, you know, there are other methods that come into play like surveys and, and whatnot, and those are really, really expensive. So the thought here is just by analysing the atmosphere, they get an idea of where the drug problems are. Now, if, if they were smart, they would outsource this to Google so that it's just the street, Google streetcar going around, take, yes, take, that's- sniffing, <laughs> sniffing the Wi-Fi, taking the photos and doing the air sampling. Uh, and then the self-drive car that Google have recently patented can go exactly. in and, and, that, and that, that way their drivers aren't affected by the right. by the drugs in the air. Oh wow, we you've, we've got it sussed. Excellent. <laughs> Sorted. Sorted. All right. Now let's talk about Telstra. Now the biggest, uh, in fact, I think is it the it's not the only, but it's certainly by far the biggest telecommunications company in Australia. Oh, te- easily the biggest tele- telecom in Australia. They're the good guy. By the way, just before we get into the story, they're the good guys here because you know we've got telecom and telecom's the big monopolistic giant that everyone hates. And when, well, tel- when Telstra are as well in Australia, in Australia, you understand that. But you see, yeah. it's it's the, it's the inverse. So over here, we've got telecom, and when Telstra have broken into the New Zealand market some years ago, they were the sort of the knight in shining armor, and everyone loves Telstra, and everyone loves to hate. 
telecom. I understand it's quite the opposite in, in Australia, of course, because Telstra is that big giant. And I, I believe Telecom New Zealand had gone into the Australian market. I'm not sure what their brand is over there, whether, no, whether it's, I, whether it's I Telecom know. or some other brand. But they went into, into that market and, and they were the sort of the good guys. So, yeah, it's interesting the way that happens. Yeah. So anyway, we love Telstra here and I understand that you guys love to hate Telstra over there. That is fair to say. <laughs> so anyway, at the moment though, uh, there's more reason to uh, love to hate them, not just because they're a, a monopoly, but they had a, a really bad data breach recently, didn't they? A terrible data breach, in fact. The data breach itself was, I consider it a, a stupid breach. So basically what, what Telstra have done is exposed a whole bunch of um, customer service databases that are used in their back office to the internet without any security. So there's not even a, a login that challenges the user when they're visiting that site. Of course, the breach has been fixed now, so users can't go to these sites anymore. But the fact that an internal, what what is essentially an intranet, not internet class system within Telstra was actually exposed externally is a terrible, terrible breakdown in Telstra's privacy procedures that should have never gotten through. You know, honestly, I'm gobsmacked. The most basic testing would have brought that out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can understand, you know, why companies screw up because they miss something in the testing because it's something really convoluted, really quirky, you know, in this kind of situation when this happens and you do this and you're on this sort of OS, then the problem surfaces. It's not like that. This is just completely open. Yeah. Basic but testing. It, 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 was, have... it was put on a public, um, a, a, an externally facing web server, yeah, but which change... never should have happened. Exactly. And that, that was only the result of a change, obviously. Something must have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So... Surely, you know, if you're going to be changing your, your firewall rules or if you're making a change to that system, surely, you know, you want to be testing these, the things that are affected in, yeah. in, in that space. These types of applications that, I mean, this is basically an application that Telstra developed to help their, their internal staff quickly find out information about customers when the customers are on the phone with them. That sort of stuff should be behind the firewall only accessible from within Telstra's network itself. So users should have to sort of um, VPN into the network to be able to actually access it, not be able to just log in and not even log in, just to like browse to the customer data on the public internet to something that Google can just crawl. This is insane. Yeah. So you're a Telstra customer? I am actually. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound happy about that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm never happy about it, um, but th- this makes me less happy than than I usually am. So, what was actually exposed? Was it personal information or just the plans yeah. they're on? Oh, personal information as well. Far out. Yeah, it's not good. So they're being investigated, aren't they? Yes, they are. So th- there's a report that, that should be out by the end of January by the Privacy Commissioner. Well, obviously that privacy commissioner's working over Christmas. Oh, yeah. I think so. People are sort of comparing this to the uh, Vodafone and PlayStation network breach. Yeah, the difference, the reason why people are considering this to be worse is that those two breaches were protected by law because there was at least rudimentary sort of password protection on the data. Oh, okay, I see. So that even though it was 
technically easy to access the data because it was even sort of rudimentarily protected, it made it illegal to access. Whereas because there wasn't even a, a password requirement on the Telstra data, it was just a, a, a legal free-for-all. And Google indexed it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Look, let's find out next year what happens to Telstra. That's... I'm guessing they're going to be fined. I oh, guess... I, I hope so. They, they, they did to, should be. In their defense... Not defending the original breach, but certainly the the way they handled that, I think was was quite they did, they did it well, didn't they? Yes, they acknowledged the breach immediately. They rectified it. They basically corrected the access requirements and and basically took it down. Yeah, and they reset uh, sixty thousand passwords. And yeah. I believe also all the users had to reconfirm their uh, what do you call it their personal detail their. Uh, you know, when your security questions, when you, you know, when you phone yeah. up and you get asked, yeah. you know, where do you live and what's your date of birth and yeah. so on, you have to, they all have to re, reconfirm that before anything can be done. Yeah. Just on the uh, side note from that, I, I saw that that caused the fact that, you know, that had to happen, obviously tied up their staff a lot. And uh, users were reporting, the article says, users were reporting wait times of about an hour. And I'm like, that's normal here. That's actually quite, quite long. For Telstra at the moment, because honestly, I'd love to be able to only wait an hour instead of an hour and a half. <laughs> you know? uh, oh, it just the, goes to show the, the benefits of offshore. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. All right. Look, that's the. Conc- I think that pretty much concludes the international section. We've we've pretty much done that Telstra story, haven't we? To death. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, take a quick uh, musical interlude, and uh, when we come back. We're going to talk about the new media rules that are under proposal that will cover news media and bloggers as well. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Now, as you may have been aware, here in New Zealand, there was a a, a review of the rules and regulations that not only... News, uh, traditional news media have to uh, conform to, but also new media, uh, meaning you know blogs, for example. And actually, just on that note, just thinking off off the cuff here, uh, wondering whether that includes podcasters as well. Well, I think it does. You think it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. So anyway, they you know they've been doing a review of, of what sort of rules and regulations should uh, should apply. Bloggers are pretty much a free for all at the moment, and there's not a lot. That, that can be done. I mean, there are still some laws that, that apply. I mean, but it's obviously a, a lot. Uh, it's it's more of a wild west, if you like. Whereas your print media, for example, are a lot more regulated in what, what yeah. they can and can't do. Absolutely. So, so the Law Commission conduct a review and have produced a recommendation, and they've proposed a single regulator for all news media, which would be independent of both government and the news industry, and it'll be voluntary whether you belong or not. Uh, but if you do belong, then you get the you know the uh, the protections that come with that, and of course the liberties as well. Yeah. But uh, if you don't, then you're not protected. Then you're not protected. That's right. Yeah. So you've got to reveal your sources and your whole, whole bunch of other considerations. So you're open for libel and yeah. yeah. I don't know the details. I'm I'm not a lawyer, but obviously we know that the news media have a different set of rules that they abide by. So that's the recommendation. I think it uh, it seems, I guess. The common sense recommendation. Absolutely. I, I think it's a triumph for common sense. Yes. And something we don't see much these days. 
<laughs> Indeed not. <laughs> not enough anyway. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's end the show there. Al, I want to thank you very much for joining me on the panel this week. Uh, thanks again. It's always fun. And as the most regular panelist, uh, we're now going to sign off from the longest running tech podcast. How's that? Sounds good. All right. See you all again next week. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Goodbye. That's the nuclear bomb of, of uh, copyright protection. You just said nuclear. Nuclear. You said it like George W. Bush. Ah. Nuclear. Nukes. Instead of nuclear. Anyway, that's all right. <laughs> I can work with that. I can work with that. Nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. That's it, yeah. Yeah, now we're getting there. Yeah, well, sorry, I just derailed the whole thing. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, that was a mega derailment. The train's just <laughs> right off the tracks now. Yeah, the train is in the water. Yeah, what were you saying? How did that word nuclear, nuclear come up? I, I, I was... Oh, um, yeah, that's right, because it was a big... Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get back in.